Welcome to Cave to the Cross Apologetics. I'm Patrick. And I'm Tony. And we're here talking about Jason Lyle's book, Keeping Faith in an Age of Reason. Yeah. Uh, we've done a couple of Jason Lyle's uh, topics before, and uh, we thought this had a lot of good, um, good discussion points that uh, we can kind of sift through and add to um, kind of the discussion, because he's got... 420 different supposed contradictions, claim contradictions that he's taken from a big chart, a big online form that he's found, and he's answered every single yeah. one of them. So talking about uh, yeah. a number of uh, you know conversation yeah. discussion points, so, that's a number of points, right? So, yeah, <laughs> obviously we're doing the hard work. Here. Yeah. 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 So what we want to do is we'll walk through a few of these for each of these chapters. He has several chapters here that deal with these. So he has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven chapters. And so he has several, many actually in each of the chapters. And so we'll walk through several in each of the chapters uh, as we go and kind of see his take on these various alleged contradictions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so he's going to kind of have three parts to it. Uh, the first is the supposed contradiction. Then what type of fallacy or problem that uh, is, is covered by it that we covered in the previous two episodes. And then he's going to answer the supposed contradiction. Right, right. So we have the claim of the contradiction. Then he's going to expose what he believes the error is in mm -hmm. the claim. And then finally, he's going to give an explanation of the passages. So you, most of these are comparing uh, a passage or two or several that seem to be contradictory. Right. And uh, we urge you to get the book because uh, obviously he's uh, he's done the heavy lifting here, and it's it's a good resource. Uh, it's a quick and, and dirty read that you can pick it up and go and kind of find. Uh, it's li listed by topic, so um, it you kind of have to f know what type of issue you're dealing with. But um, it's a it's a, uh, a, a couple sentences, half a page at tops that I've that I've seen so far. Um, that uh, answers your question quickly. You yeah. can do further study on it, which hopefully will add to some, some content here. So we're not just reading the book to, to you. That's an audiobook version of it. Um, and there are other services for that right. that aren't sponsoring us yet. Right. So. so last time we looked at the introduction. This time we're going to look at Chapter 1. And Chapter 1 deals with what he calls quantitative differences, right? right? So they all have to deal with numbers, right? right? That's yeah. the particular issue. And so all of these supposedly contradictions say this passage says this many and this other passage says this many, and therefore that's contradictory. Right. Right? All right, well, let's kind of uh, jump in. So we, uh, uh, you know, as we kind of work our way through several of these here, we are, we're not going to go one by one because this chapter has many of them in there. So we'll start with uh, this one. I think this one is, um, this is entitled, uh, well, this one is number 16. Right. Right? The question here is, the contradiction supposedly is this. Did Jesus say before the cock crows or before the cock crows Twice, mm -hmm. right? That's the issue here. And so apparently Matthew twenty six thirty four, Luke twenty two thirty four, and John thirteen thirty eight all say before the clock cock crows. But Mark fourteen thirty says before the cock crows twice. Right. Right. And with the number of these too, uh, I'm sure we've we've all had our online arguments. 
where someone will say the Bible says this and then you actually read it and it doesn't say that or you know you read the next verse and oh well there's the full context of it right there yeah uh, you know you kind of have to figure out what's what's being addressed and who's who's the the audience who what what type of style it is um, that's being written and so uh, it's good to, to figure out yeah okay on the surface this may look like a contradiction uh, but go to the text actually see if it actually says that um, so we have the the four gospels here pulled up uh matthew luke and john which is odd because john is usually the odd man out right uh right. so he's already usually by himself yeah. right yeah uh, because we we all know that uh the q copied or mark copied from the q documents and right. and all the the weird even stuff though nobody can it. find q yeah but we know we it's there yeah of yeah. course it has yeah. to exist because who else would he have copied from, right. right yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's no originality i think i think someone wrote there's nothing new under the sun yeah right um so uh matthew says that um, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Uh, Luke talks about, uh, Luke 22 says, you will deny me three times that you know me. John says, uh, the rooster will crow, will not crow till you have denied me three times. And then Mark says, and Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. So, does it still look like a contradiction? Yeah, I, boy, I'm not. Yeah, I mean, everyone yeah, says three times, yeah, but then yeah, he says twice. Yeah. yeah. So the the other thing that we want to, I mean, we were joking with regard to the Q issue, but tradition has it that Mark really got his account from Peter. Right, so yeah. you would think that if he got his account from Peter, Peter would be really sensitive as in terms about of this one. Yeah, yeah, how this went across. Yeah. Right. This is this is about Peter doing it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the fact that this is that this is in Mark. I mean, this is the the argument from embarrassment, right? Right. Yeah. That we can have trust in the Gospels because. A lot of the things talked about talks about the disciples not knowing, uh, (laughs) you know, uh, at the transfiguration, uh, you know, let's let's build these these tents in honor. And Jesus smacks them down. Right. Oh, okay. Or or just 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 not understanding ever. And then acts to kind of get their stuff together, maybe because of the Holy Spirit. But um, so. So, yeah, that that's uh, that's an interesting point. That, uh, that we can pull from here. Yeah, so he says, so here's, with regard to his uh, threefold format here, the, the, the claim here, then we've just seen of this contradiction, these passages, Matthew, Mark, Luke say, um, oh, I'm sorry, Matthew, Luke, and John yeah. say only, only mention once. Right. They don't say only once, right, but they only mention the uh, cop growing and mark says twice he calls this the subset fallacy right right so if you have 10 items by saying that you have five five of the items you're not contradicting that you also have 10 items you're right. you're you're singling out five or there's a reason for those five or because we like to to see patterns and things and we notice uh five fingers on a hand 10 fingers total so obviously the the mention of five is an easy subset of, right. of the ten. And oftentimes authors then focus on what they want to show as important, mm-hmm. right? So it seems like here at least part of what's going on here is these authors that are just mentioning that the cock is, cock is going to crow are focusing on the fact that, you know, this issue of the cock crowing. They weren't worried about how many times because, you know, it didn't, it wasn't what they were focusing mm-hmm. on. As opposed to Mark, 
who is probably, as we suggested through tradition, Peter's account where he really. Yeah, I remember that time. (laughs) And here's what he said, where it's not that the other ones don't don't view it as unnecessary per se. Uh, There's no there's no um, there's there's no desire at all times to get. Uh, the full account. So it, it, again, the Western versus Eastern tradition. W- if we want to quote somebody, we try, or uh, honest people try, and put an entire quote in there. Um, sometimes we use the three dot ellipses to say there was more said in between right. here. Right. But here, um, the the authors, for different reasons, are 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 not including this this part or. Um, um, didn't view it as as that important, but they still have the gist of what Jesus is saying. The fact that these three don't contradict what Mark is saying is right. Is so, so none of the others, and the point that he makes here is that they are not saying that the crow, uh, you know, um, uh, the cock crows only once. Right. Right. Yeah. No, they're just saying that you know before the cock cock crows. So you know, uh, so if they'd have said only once or before the first crow. Right. Then we would say, OK, yeah, there's a problem there. Right. Mm-hmm. But they don't say that they're, they're You know, there's in fact, there's no passage. He makes the point here that says that the rooster crowed only once. Mm-hmm. Right. None of them say that. Well, and, and just thinking about even taking liberal scholars view and saying that, oh, Mark's the earliest. And then everyone copied except for John, because he's the odd one, right. although here it doesn't make sense. Um, if they have to copy from Mark. Okay, well then, why didn't they say right too? Yeah, 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 it's right. It seems there. like a, a yeah. stupid mistake here yeah. to say, uh, you know, oh well, you know, we're only gonna, we're only gonna, um, we're, we're gonna contradict it here when it's so easy just to copy it. But they have, uh, they, they don't have the the need for specificity here, as as like you said that probably Peter had because it was probably really marked in his head there. Yeah, probably that. Yeah. And when Jesus comes back to him at his <laughs> resurrection and says, you know, do you love me three times? Right, and right. and. Peter's just down in the dumps, dumps yeah, with it. Yeah, yeah, really. Yeah. All right. So, so yeah. So that's the that's the explanation here. There's not a contradiction right. there, right? They focuses the first, these three of them focuses on the important part of the cock crowing issue. Mark, who we're suggesting as with tradition, who's following Peter and and that sort of thing, emphasizes exactly how many because mm-hmm. you know he was involved in it. Right. right? All right, the next one here is uh, is number 20. Right? Yeah. Uh, let's pull it up here first and then introduce it. Yeah. So the issue here, the question here is, how many years of famine? Now, this one is going to take us not in the, old, in the New Testament, but it's going to take us back to the Old Testament where um, God gives David a choice of punishment yeah. because of his sin of... Uh, of uh, counting the people when he wasn't supposed to. Right. He was right? he was trying to kind of build his army before he he had a place to place to go or, or a command from God. To, yeah. To yeah. Do well, that. well, part of the problem, part of the issue here is David was trying to, you know, maybe boost his confidence, was trying to 
uh, you know, saying, oh, I got these many men. Mm -hmm. And so do you, David, do you trust in how many men you have or do you trust in God? Right. 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 And by counting, at least part of the issue, uh, this may not be the whole issue, but part of the issue is he seems like I'm going to trust in how many men I have. Mm -hmm. And God says that is wrong. You are to trust in me and not how many men you have. Yeah, we kind of saw that, too, with Gideon where – he starts with a large army and then whittles it down to 300 men right, who right. are, you know, the, the bravest or uh, maybe not so brave if yeah, they're considering yeah. Maybe the against, most fearful, yeah, who, you know, yeah. lapped by lo- and looked yeah. at the same time, yeah. right? I would yeah. call that practicality. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So Second uh, Samuel twenty four thirteen says, So Gag came to David and told him and said to him, Shall three years of famine come to you in your land? Or will you flee three months before your foes while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days pestilence in your land? Now consider and decide what answer I shall return to him who sent me. First uh, Chronicles twenty-one eleven through 12 says, So Gag came to David and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Choose what you will, either three years of famine or three months of devastation by your foes, while the sword of your enemies overtakes you, or else three days of the sword of the Lord, uh, pestilence on the land uh, with the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. Now decide what answer I shall return to him who sent me. Yeah. yeah. So the issue here, he calls this the subset fallacy oh, again. Subset? Like that's that's the so the issue here is it is it seven or is it three? Come yeah. on, which is it, right? Uh first or second Samuel says seven, first chronicles twenty one says three. So he calls this a subset fallacy. And he also m- makes a note that there's a failure to read the con uh, the text in context. Right. 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 So that's the issue that he suggests is going on here. All right. So how does he explain this? So, again, as we said, God gave David, as we have read now, a choice of punishment for the sin of, uh, you know, wrongly counting the people. Right. He suggests that a careful reading of the text shows that the land had already experienced three years of famine on account of Saul's sin. Mm-hmm. That's in Second Samuel uh, 21. 1. So three more years would be added due to David's sin if he had chosen that option for a total of six. And since the Israelites were not permitted to work the land on the seventh day, there would be a food shortage, a famine food shortage, for a total of seven yeah, years. The, the year of Jubilee, right? The That's right. Year. right. Yeah. So every seven years they were to allow the land to, to go fallow and not and and not yeah. cultivate. Yeah, it, w- it, would, it wouldn't uh, use up the nutrients. It would let the land kind of rest for, for a bit. Uh, again, using the 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 seven the six days creation the the seventh the, day God yeah, rested right, type or, of thing or, or and or so the, God said I want the land to rest yeah, on the right, seventh the, year the right. Sabbath year yeah. um, it's Second Samuel twenty one one that was the uh, the um, first three years it says now there was a famine in the days of David for three years year after year and David sought the face of the Lord and the Lord said there is blood guilt on Saul and on his house because he put the Gibeonites to death. Yeah. So that's the account where Saul. So that was the start of the, the yeah, famine. That was the, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was the start of the famine. He probably didn't want to choose. David probably didn't want to choose the fleeing before foes because he's been doing that <laughs> his entire career. He did that with Saul. He's going to do that with his son. Yeah. So um, famine seems like like the the the, the better of the the three options there. Yeah. And so he uh, uh, Jason Lau here. Adds all of these things up, we get to seven, and he suggests that there really is no, right. you know, it's it's what each of the uh, the context is focusing mm-hmm. on. Is right. there seven? <clears throat> and there's also three on top of that. Right, right. 
All right. Uh, number 21 uh, is an interesting one. Uh, how long was the Ark afloat, the Ark uh, that Noah was in? Seven months, according to Genesis 8.4, or 10, according to Genesis 8.5. And it seems to me that um, if the understanding is that at least Moses either collated or uh, authored um, the book of Genesis, that it seems like he could get his facts straight between uh, two verses. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, eight, eight four and eight five is is a is a quick turnaround to, to suddenly just go yeah. off the rails and yeah. and get out of sync with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Genesis eight four and five. And in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat, and the waters continued to abate. This is verse five. And the waters continued to abate until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. Right. So, so was it seven months yeah. or ten months, Moses? Come on, yeah. right? That's the that's the claim, mm-hmm. right? That there's the contradiction. One says seven, and then the next verse says it's just next verse. It's ten, clear, right there, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So what's going on here? Well, he calls this the the failure to read the text carefully. I mean, clearly. Yeah. So I mean, I'm not sure what the name of that fallacy is, but you yeah. know, <laughs> the shame fallacy. Yeah. Shame on you. Shame for on not you. Reading fallacy. Carefully. That's right. So Genesis 8, 4 teaches the ark came to rest on the 17th day of the seventh month. Right. At that time, he, he says here that the other mountains could not be seen from the vantage point of the ark. So what we have here really is a, is a listing of gradual coming uh, of the... Uh, the receding know, of the waters. Yeah, the receding yeah. of the mm-hmm. waters, right, yeah. So there's not a hint of inconsistency, right, is what he suggests. It's not until the first day of the 10th month that the mountains became visible. Right. So it came to rest, yes, on the 17th day of the 7th month. But we couldn't see, he couldn't see the mountains until the 10th uh, month. Right. The the, tenth uh, month. Ships run aground all the time. Uh, the, the ark was designed mostly just to stay afloat, so it, it doesn't have to cut through the water, so it's got a different... Uh, ship hull design mm-hmm. uh, it sits on the mountains uh, water goes down it's probably it's not going to spill over so ho- hopefully God has parked it in a, in a safe spot and then uh, the tops of the mountains were seen well who are the only 10 people left is Moses and his family so Noah and so uh, uh, Moses writes <laughs> or or collected the, the, the stories and, and wrote uh, that the the tops of the mountains weren't seen until the right. tenth month. So so it yes, a, it's a both while. and right. Yeah, Sometimes right. when we're given this either or type of thing, the question we need to ask is, you know, oh, why couldn't it be both? Mm-hmm. Right? And in this instance, it is there. There's two different uh, things that are being described. Two different time yeah. periods too. Yeah. It takes yeah. a while for all the waters on the earth to kind of get we back see. in the yeah. in the trenches of yeah. where they came from. Yeah. Good. All right. Um, the next fallacy here, yeah, this one, he out. has a, uh, like, uh, I don't know, bazillion quotes well, here. Well, I mean, it, it makes the, sense that yeah. he's got this, <laughs> yeah. this many. Yeah, So because this one is a central issue, actually, in the, the nature of God and the, uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, Christ, the Christianity itself, right? What right. What we are to believe. So uh, number 24 says this, how many gods are there? <laughs> Just the one, according to various passages in the Old and New Testament, like Deuteronomy 6.4, and in the, uh, that's the Old Testament in the 1 Corinthians 8.6 in the New Testament. So just one, or 
more than one, according to passages both in the Old and the New Testament, like Genesis one twenty six mm-hmm. and the New Testament Matthew uh, twenty eight nineteen and following. Yeah, right? and th- there's more than he lists. In fact, we're going to be using one that that we think kind of uh, uh, commingles the uh, the New Testament ones a, a little bit better. Right. Um, right. <clears throat> so uh, dealing with so how many gods are there? The yes. <laughs> three, just, one or three? Just one. Yeah. If if we just understand both the period of the Old Testament, we see there is only one God, and from the, I, I mean, pick, pick your spot. But let let's say Moses. Uh, there there is a a uh, a pivotal point on Mount Sinai where um, the the people. Having trusted in God of uh, from from their fathers, takes God Yahweh as as their their personal God and follows uh, his his established law. He's he's separated them out from Egypt. Now he's separating them out from everyone. Then he's going to give them a place to to go. So at the very beginning, um, Israel when when it becomes Israel is is a monotheistic religion. It it's unique among all the people that it surrounds them right uh they're a small people they they shouldn't have survived but they're 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 one single god supposedly is in control of everything but then moving even to second temple judaism where jesus existed you still have so so for for the entire old testament history it's following false gods coming back to god the one true god following false gods i mean that's what the the babylonian and assyrian um, enslavements were and, and uh, exiles and then coming back and the remnant and then you have the Romans coming in occupying Jerusalem and the, the country of Israel and then during Jesus' time you have even a clearer stance of um, of the Jews being a monotheistic religion. They're able to operate within uh, their ethnic group among the Romans by, by saying well you know we still pay tribute to the Romans as as our conquerors, but we're still able to exist having a, a single deity mm-hmm. where they have multiple deities. So one God. Right. So th- throughout the history of the religion, uh, it's, it's always been known to be a monotheistic. And when they get in trouble, they have to realize they're following false gods. But the, the following of false gods always seems to be, there's always something attached to it. So there's always a, a, uh, a desire for you know, temple prostitutes or uh, um, having wives or, or other uh, allurements from other cultures mm-hmm. that kind of brings them to other false gods. Um, even even with the golden calf, you see um, that there's a desire for them to want to follow um, something that they can that because they feel that they're forsaken because Moses has been up right. for too long. So, so- even in your explanation here, we almost snuck in, you know, when we say false gods. Whoa. So I thought there was just one. Right. right? Sure. So what Lyle wants to do is to deal with all of that. Mm-hmm. There's one God, but yet there's places in the scriptures that clearly indicate that God is um, three persons is really what he's getting at. And then there's places in the scriptures that talk about false gods. Right. So how do you how do you deal with all of that? Yeah. Is it one or is it three? Yeah, right. there's really right. two sections here that right. he's wanting to cover. Yeah. Uh, 
So Deuteronomy 6.4 is probably the, the easiest passage to go to for a single God. It's, it's the Shema. It's what um, every day, uh, every um, uh, head of the household rose up and led his family in the saying of, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in Genesis uh, 1.24, it says that, or one Genesis one twenty six, right? Yeah. yeah, that's the verse here. He says, mm-hmm. uh, "It says that let us, us make man in our own image." Mm-hmm. So, you know, us. What is that? You know, well, clearly it's talking about a plural, right? right? Yeah, a plurality, right? It's more than just one. Because right? even back in these days, uh, language had meaning. Yeah. T- yeah. T- today it's a little different, I think. But uh, <laughs> here the pronoun us is yeah. a, it seems to be um, more than one. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. So, so how does uh, Lyle deal with this? Well, this is what he says. He says, it's, first of all, it's fair to read the text carefully and this specious uh, reasoning. Mm-hmm. All right. The Bible affirms that there's only one God, right? then what is this issue with regard to more than one God? He says, well, the Bible affirms that this one God is three in terms of eternal distinct persons. Mm -hmm. So one God, three persons, and, of course, that's called the Trinity. Right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Or if you're the Mormons, you try and make each one a separate being, and then you have multiple gods, but you you have that, that, uh, that understanding kind of going into it, so you're reading into the passage. Um, what you want. But here we're trying to understand why Judaism and uh, early Christianity and late Christianity and all of Christianity uh, is monotheistic, but yet they're able to also say that Jesus Jesus was God. God. So the Trinity, he says, is not contradictory because it does not affirm that God is only one and more than one in the same time. It does not affirm that God is only one and more than one in the same time. It affirms that God is one in one sense in terms of the nature or essence or what his being is like, and three in a different sense in terms of persons, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's, the, that's the basic idea. So notice there's two senses in terms of the, the, the term God that are being, that's being used here, right? right? And, 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 and then he mentions that there are several things in the world that are kind of like this. Right. right. These aren't the, the best ones because the Trinity is unique. So right. when we pull right. things, we have to make sure we're not getting a modalism or uh, polytheism right. on accident. Right. In fact, generally, it's usually not even a good idea to try to make these illustrations because none of them right. are good. It, no matter. Analogies you know, always Some break people down. say, well, you know, it's, a, it's one egg, but it has, you know, a shell, <laughs> right. a yolk, and a... And, uh, uh, the whites. Thank you. Yeah, yeah that too. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So, uh, but we call it one egg. Well, and so he uses the church, right? It's one group united in fellowship, but it's many persons or Congress. What do you mean when we say Congress? Well, it's one body, but it has two houses yeah. and many so persons and that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. That kind of stuff. And so he says, notice we're using the word in various senses, mm-hmm. right? And so one sense then is his argument here is that, yes, in in the essence and nature of God, there's one God, three persons has have that essence and nature. Mm-hmm. So one God, three persons, and so we're using it in different senses, and therefore it is not a contradiction. It's not saying one and three. Right. right? Uh, By the way, a contradiction would be more like one and not one. Right. Or something that, like that, that. That's the... the, right. the, the 
the specific definition of what a contradiction is. <laughs> a lot of people say this is a contradiction when they mean this is wrong or right. uh, uh, th th there's an issue with this. Um, the First Corinthians passage um, that talks about having one God also has an interesting second part to it. Yep, for us there this is, is one God. First Corinthians uh, eight six. Eight six. Yeah. Yep, for us there is one God, the Father from whom are all things and from whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Hmm. So it doesn't seem like if, if this was talking about two separate gods, all of a sudden uh, you wouldn't have uh, the, the, the Jewish leaders rising up. You would have the Jewish leaders rising up and denouncing this Christian sect as a polytheistic Right. abomination but right. here there's clearly an understanding that yes the, the father is God but also there is one Lord Jesus Christ so uh, the, the interesting fact here is that what we see in the New Testament kind of assumes the Trinity so it seems like the Trinity takes place after um, after the the, um, the the coming of, of Jesus and then before the writing of, of the canon of the New Testament, yeah. because Peter and... You mean um, the, the teaching of the... The explicit right. teaching of yes, the Trinity, right? right. Yeah. Um, th there's, there's no, there's no uh, qualifications. There's, there's just an understanding that Peter knows what you're understanding when he's saying one, one God and also one Lord. Yeah, yeah. So that's Paul. Uh, yeah. So so but there's implications in the Old Testament. There's right. you know, there's all kinds of Old Testament passages as he uses here. He, you know, uh, that talk about more than, you know, refer rather to God as more than one. Right? Like let us make mm -hmm. man in our own image and that sort of thing. All right. But what about this issue then of false gods? What about this? You know, this. Um, you know, the Bible seems to acknowledge that, you know, wait a minute, you shouldn't worship false gods. What's the issue here? Well, this is what he wants to say. He says, also note that the Bible acknowledges the existence of false gods, which are called gods, but notice, have no genuine power. But since these are not, so they're not really truly gods in any real sense, so they don't buy, uh, violate the biblical notion of one God, right? right. They're false gods. They're so-called gods. They're not really gods. So, you know, you talk about false gods, you're talking about something that's not really God. So you're not saying, oh, here's a bunch of other gods, false gods, so now there's more than one God. No, 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 no. The false gods are false. They are not God, right? It's not true that they are God That's what or gods. That's what makes them false, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> So, you know, he says, um, uh, since they're not truly God, in a real sense, they do not violate the biblical position of one God, right? So clearly that's, that's what's going on here. In, yeah. um, in Isaiah 41, this is God speaking to the false gods. Set forth your case, says the Lord. Bring your proofs, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring them and tell us what is to happen. Tell us the former things, what they are, that we may consider them. <clears throat> that we may know their outcomes or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what is to come hereafter, that we may know that you are gods. Do good or do harm, <laughs> that we may be dismayed, dismayed or terrified. Behold, you are nothing and your work is less than nothing. An abomination is he who chooses you. So here's these false gods that 
are claimed to be in existence, that are, are worshipped, that are made idols of. Um, but we see that the in the, the New Testament that uh, the, the tree that they make the idol from, the, the rest of the tree they throw into the fire, <laughs> and there's supposedly a difference between the two. Yeah, and that's a fascinating passage there in Isaiah because mm -hmm. Isaiah is challenging these folks who are claiming to worship other gods. If you claim to worship other gods, let them tell us the future like the true and the living God right. does. Nobody knows the future. Nobody can tell the future except for the true and the living God mm -hmm. who knows the future. He's saying, okay, if these are gods, then have them tell us what the future is. Right. And since they can't, we know that they're not gods. That's that's his basic argument right. here, right? Yeah. yeah. And there's more in Isaiah where it talks about, you know, he, he knows no other gods. He looks to the right and to the left from eternity unto eternity. Right. There is no one beside him. Right. So. so, and it's interesting there in the 24th verse, he says, Behold, you are nothing. Yeah. Right. So you're not God. You're nothing. Right. Mm -hmm. You're worshiping nothing. Right. Actually, Paul argues that in First uh, Corinthians that they're worshiping demons. Sure. Well, right? anything As that gods. takes away from from the worship of God is demonic. Yeah. 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 So. All right. One God, three persons, right. the Trinity. And of course, he, he defends that this is the. Uh, the, 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 what the Bible teaches with regard yeah. to that. And obviously there's a lot more on the Trinity that we could talk about. Oh, there yeah. are more yeah. wiser people. Uh, <laughs> probably the, the best kind of overview book that I've seen and liked is Forgotten Trinity by James White. Mm -hmm. um, that's mm -hmm. the one I know you, you teach from uh, for some classes, and it's the one that I've marked up a bunch of highlights of yeah. mine. Um, <laughs> it's, it's really good. It, it, the, the, one, the one part about the, the book that I enjoy is, um, is the holy name of God being applied to the different um, uh, beings of God. So it's applied to Jesus, mm -hmm. it's applied to the Holy Spirit, um, the, the Tetragrammaton, and, and that are, are, are kind of interchangeable between the, the actors, uh, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Yeah, James, yeah, that's a good book that James White has put together. Yeah. All right. And All I right. think here uh, we'll probably uh, split the episode into two different parts for the chapter. Uh, so that uh, people can digest and reflect on yeah. all the numbers and get their calculators <laughs> reset. Sounds like uh, a plan. So, so here's where we'll stop, and then uh, the next episode will continue on yeah. uh, with the second part of Chapter 2 of Keeping Faith in the Age of Reason. Right. So thank you for being with us for Cave to Cross Apologetics. We'll see you next time. All right.